In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may have heard of the author, Bill Bryson. You may have even read a book or two by him. He's written extensively about travel and travel literature. In one of his books, Bill Bryson talks about a time he traveled to Hannibal, Missouri to visit the boyhood home of Mark Twain. Bill Bill Bryson described this home as being a trim, whitewashed house with green shutters set incongruously in the middle of downtown. It cost only $2 to walk around the site, and despite that, Bill Bryson was deeply disappointed with his visit. This house claimed to be a faithful, uh, a faithful uh, reproduction or, or, or even, even more so just improvement of the house that Mark Twain had grown up in. But if you looked into the rooms, you'd see up on the ceilings clear indications of wires and water sprinklers. The floor was clearly updated in the 1990s, a little bit after Mark Twain passed away. In one bedroom, there was a plywood partition that was apparently hastily erected. Bryson was further disappointed because he wasn't allowed to even go inside the house. Instead, he went from one window to the next window. At each window, he'd hear audio stories about things that happened inside the rooms. As he was making his way around the house, Bill Bryson struck up a conversation with a stranger. And he asked this person, what do you think of the house? This stranger said to Bill Bryson, oh, I think it's great. I come here every time I'm in Hannibal, two, maybe even three times a year. Sometimes I even go out of my way to come to this town and see this house. Bryson was dumbfounded and he said, really? Yeah, said the stranger. I must have been here 20, 30 times by now. You know, this is a real shrine. Eventually, Bryson incredulously turned to the stranger and asked, would you say this house is the way that Mark Twain described it in his writings? I don't know, the stranger said. I've never read anything by Mark Twain. (laughs) This man visited what was almost a shrine to Mark Twain 20, 30 times, but he didn't really know who Mark Twain was. He was happy to peer in from the outside windows, but he wasn't really bothered that he couldn't go into the house itself. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us are this way at times. Yes, we show up to church. This Sunday we'll peek in this window and hear a little story. Next Sunday another window, another little story. But all the while we may be tempted to keep our faith at arm's length. Today, we hear about John the Baptist, and we don't call him that to distinguish him from John the Presbyterian and Fred the Episcopalian, (laughs) but he was John the Baptizer. That's what he was doing. He was out in the wilderness at the River Jordan baptizing people in the passage where we encounter him today. We read that Jesus was coming towards John, and John saw him and said, Here is the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. The next day again, John was out in the wilderness with two of his disciples this time when Jesus came by and John said, look, this is the Lamb of God. And the two disciples, when they heard this, decided to follow Jesus. After some period of time, Jesus saw them and turned around and said, what are you looking for to these two disciples? These two disciples, not yet disciples of Jesus, still disciples of John, had a chance to ask Jesus any question they wanted. What are you looking for? So if you were in their shoes or their sandals, what would you have asked Jesus? Maybe you'd ask Jesus, why do good things happen to bad people? Or bad things happen to good people, I guess that's the way it goes. You might have asked Jesus, if you were particularly uh, clever, what will the lottery numbers be next week? <laughs> or how do we get the Jaguars to keep playing like they did in the second half of that game last night? <laughs> that gets an applause. <laughs> or you might have asked Jesus, did God make a mistake when he made mosquitoes? Or more seriously, why do I exist? Or what's my purpose? There's so many good questions that these disciples could ask. They don't know that they're going to follow Jesus for years to come, so this may be their only opportunity to ask a question of the man who John the Baptist called the Lamb of God. And the question they choose to ask is, where are you staying? Why would they choose to ask that? Does it really matter if Jesus is staying in a Motel 8 or on a friend's couch or if he has an RV in town? It seems like a really poor choice of question. And as a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't really answer the question. Instead, Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. What Jesus was saying is that the answer to this specific question matters a great deal less than the invitation to follow Jesus and be changed like Jesus and become like Jesus. In other words, we don't understand the Christian life by learning facts and by gathering information, but instead by participating and practicing and joining in the Christian life. If you know all the right theological terms and you can give a definition of penal substitutionary atonement, but you never serve your neighbor and you never make time to pray and you never go to worship, you are missing the point. If you keep your faith at arm's length, you're missing the point. We shouldn't simply have an intellectual curiosity about Christianity, but we should have this desire to come and see that's the difference between being interested in Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. If you're interested in Jesus, you'll say things like, yeah, it's great that people over there serve the needy, and it's great that people over there give away their money, and that people over there welcome strangers and remind children that God loves them. But a follower of Jesus will instead say, I am going to serve those in need. I am going to give away a percentage of my income. 
I am going to welcome strangers and remind children that they are all loved by God. Jesus said, come and see. And the gospel passage we read today uses these verbs when describing what the disciples did. The disciples came, the disciples saw, and the disciples remained with Jesus that day. Jesus was saying to them, come and see how I live, how I cure the sick, how I spend time with the lonely and feed the hungry and bring good news to the hopeless. And the disciples did just that. What's interesting is that Jesus never really answered the question asked by these disciples. He never told them where he was staying. But even more broadly, Jesus frequently didn't answer the questions that he was asked in the Gospels. By one count, Jesus was asked 183 questions that are recorded in the Gospels, and there are, are only three direct answers that Jesus gives to these questions. You may find yourself also having questions that you're asking. You may be saying, God, why did this person I love die? Why did I get this diagnosis? Why can't you find me a spouse or change my spouse? <laughs> and maybe you're not finding the answers to these questions. And maybe you're so frustrated that you feel like you're about to give up on your faith. But maybe, instead of answering your questions, Jesus is inviting you to come and see, to come and be a part of this relationship with him, to come participate in the Christian life. As you certainly know, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. In his famous letter from a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King wrote, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the prophets of the 8th century BC left their villages and carried their, their thus saith the Lord far beyond the boundaries of their own towns, and just as the apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, so am I compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my hometown. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. In other words, my poor paraphrase of this message is that Martin Luther King was not willing to idly sit by and watch from a distance. He was called to take an active role, to take a stand, and to go where he was needed. And this is what we're called to do also, to not simply ask passive and intellectual questions. Instead, we're called to participate in the work that needs to be done, to be part of the solution, to look at the realities of our broken world, to see where we can make a difference, and then to join together in this mutual effort. Come and see, we're told. One of the challenges with our lectionary, the assigned readings for each week, 
is that its creators apparently sometimes decided that a passage was too long to be read on one Sunday, so they broke it up across multiple weeks. And that's what happened with the reading today. So I want you to hear the rest of the story. After the gospel passage we heard this morning concludes, we hear that the very next day, Jesus continued calling disciples. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. And Philip immediately ran to Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. And Nathanael said in a very snarky way, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip, however, didn't try to rebut or give an answer. Instead, Philip said, come and see. Come and see. Here's the key. Philip decided to come and see what Jesus was doing, and then he invited others to come and see along with him. The way for us to learn about the Christian life is by jumping headlong into it. And when our friends come up to us and ask us about our faith, we can respond the same way, come and see. You may be reluctant to talk about your faith because you're afraid you don't have the answers to all the questions. You may be afraid that you don't know enough. But notice what Jesus said to the disciples, come and see. Notice what Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. That's not a very hard phrase, is it? Can we all say it together for a moment? Come and see. So if someone asks you about your faith, if someone has a question about your church, you can say, I don't have it all figured out. But I do know that when I pray, I feel a closeness with God. And I do know when I go to church, it helps me put my life in order. And I do know when I serve those in need, I find a joy that I don't seem to experience anywhere else in life. So why don't you come with me and see what it's like? Why don't you pray with me? Why don't you worship with me? Why don't you serve with me? You see, in the Christian life, we shouldn't just peek in the windows while keeping Jesus at a safe distance. Instead, we should learn to jump headlong into our faith. Bill Bryson didn't simply want to glimpse a house in Hannibal, Missouri. He knew all about Mark Twain, but he wanted to know more. He wanted to experience firsthand. He didn't want to stand outside the windows. He wanted to walk where Mark Twain had walked. He wanted to experience the life that young Mark Twain had led. And we're called to do the same as Christians, to not simply curiously glimpse the stories of Jesus, but to make them our own stories, to not just hear about Jesus, but to participate in the life of Christ, to enter the household, the family of God, to walk in the same path that Jesus set for us 2,000 years ago, living as he had lived, forgiving and loving and praying, and worshiping, and serving. After all, the Christian life, much more than it's meant to be understood, 
is primarily meant to be experienced. Jesus said, come and see. Come and see. Amen.